So the Bible is messy. We want it to be clean. We want fairy tale stories. We want the characters to all be good. More than anything, we want God to make sense every time we read it. And yet if that's sort of our dream, it unravels by about page four because the Bible is messy and the people are messed up. And honestly, they're a lot like me and like you. They have these journeys of life that they're on and, and, and they're messy. And there are some stories we read in the Bible that, if we're being honest, they don't really make any sense at all. So today we're going to look at one of those stories. It's complicated. It's found in Genesis chapter 22. So if you have a Bible with you, get it out, turn it on, Genesis 22. We're continuing in our Are We There Yet series, and we're going to meet a guy named Abraham. We're going to call him Generous Abraham, although Typically, when we think of the word generosity, especially in church, we think, oh, we're talking about giving away all our money. We're not talking about that at all today, okay? We're going to talk about what is the heart of someone who is generous. And again, why are we doing this series? Why are we looking at the attributes like joy and generosity and humility and spiritual hunger? Well, it's because those are the traits, those are the attributes of Christ. And so as disciples of Christ, these are the things that God wants to grow in each of us. And so if you're here today and you're just exploring this Jesus thing, that's great. If you're here today and you've been walking with Jesus, had a relationship with Christ for a long time, that's great too. What God wants to do is take these attributes, generosity and humility and joy, and he wants to grow them in each one of us. So we're going to see some of that in today's story. It's messy, this story. God is going to ask Abraham to do something that's messy. And honestly, when you first hear it, you might even be like, is God, is he mean? Is he like playing a practical joke? Like, what is happening here? I hope that by the time we're done today, what you see is that God at his very core is generous. That the very heart of God is giving and to always be giving. In fact, so much so that God's going to say, I would not withhold anything from you to show you how much I love you. So here we go. Abraham, here's a little bit of his story. Abraham is married to a woman named Sarah. They've got a pretty normal marriage like most marriages you know, they have the occasional problems. One day, Abraham uh, sold Sarah for some sheep, you know, like that happens in most marriages. That, that kind of thing goes on. I feel like that's the kind of thing that flowers aren't going to fix. You're going to have to go jewelry on that one. <laughs> but he set in motion something for the rest of us that we can go, no matter what I did, I didn't sell you for cattle, okay? So it's not that bad. Probably their biggest problem, though, is that they want to start a family, but Sarah can't have children. And in the ancient world, for someone who cannot have children, especially for a woman, society really has no place for you. They're, you're looked down on. They're going to shame you. And so we just sort of see the brokenness of their journey, of the lives of Abraham and Sarah. Until one day God shows up and God says to Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a child. In fact, about a year from now, you're going to have a baby. And so when Abraham is 100 years old, and Sarah is 90, she gives birth to a son. They name him Isaac. True story. Like, it's incredible. 100 years old, Abraham's in the waiting room handing out those cigars that say it's a boy on him. Like, this actually happened. 
And so we read this story, and you get to this place where you go, okay, we can breathe. Everything's good. God has done this work of redemption. They finally have what they wanted. And I kind of get that because our family's story involves infertility and not being able to have a family. And so when we adopted our oldest child, it was like, okay, finally. It was like this, this sense of some little hole in our heart was filled. And so you feel like, okay, Abraham and Sarah, happily ever after. This is the fairy tale they wanted. And then we get to Genesis 22, which we're going to read, and it makes no sense. It's like, what is God even doing? How could he possibly ask what he's about to ask? Here's what it says. Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And I'm sorry, but I read that and I just go, how could God do that? How could he ask that? He, he, he gives them this child that they had waited for for so long. They finally have a family. And then God's just going to take him away? Like that's just, it just feels mean. It feels like a joke. So what would you do? You're Abraham. Step, step into that space. What, God has just asked you this. What would you do? Some of you are like, do I get to pick which kid I sacrifice? Or how does this work? <laughs> no, but doesn't it just feel like God is being mean? But keep going, because often when these stories are complicated and they're messy, it's because God is still working. He has a purpose for everything. Keep reading. Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up. And he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy are going to go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. And so now I kind of feel like Abraham's the bad guy. Like it was bad when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. But now Abraham's like, sure. Like, what, what do you mean? But there's something happening here. We catch a glimpse of something. Something is going on in Abraham's heart because he says something that's really interesting that I think starts to tell us something about how he trusts God. Because did you notice he says to his servants, he says, we are going to go over to this hillside, to this mountain. We, me and Isaac, we are going to go over there. We will worship. And then he says, and we will come back. And so he doesn't really know what's going on. He doesn't know how it's going to happen, but Something is telling him God is going to work this out. And that Isaac, in some way, Isaac's going to come back with him. Hebrews 11, I put it in your app, talks about this a little bit more. You can read it later. But there's something interesting going on there. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And then he himself carried the fire and the knife. 
As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. Let me ask you to think about something. If you're someone who calls himself a Christ follower, are there areas of your life that are off limits to God? Are there parts of your life that are off limits? You know, you go, oh yes, Jesus, I love Jesus. Jesus, you're my savior. But then you have these things, you're like, but that, that over there, that's, that's mine. Like, Jesus, I really love you. I want to follow you. But what I do with my money, I earned it. That's mine. Jesus, I really love you. I want to follow you. I want to be obedient. But my sexuality, well, Jesus, you and I are just going to have to agree to disagree on that. Jesus, I love you, but what I'm going to do for a living, I have to get up and do it every day. So I get to choose that. Jesus, I, I, I really love you, but how to raise my kids? I got that. I'll ask you if I need help. Jesus, I love you, but what to do with my retirement and how to spend my time? I mean, I worked all those years. I put all that money into my retirement. So what I do with it and what I do with my time, well, Jesus, that's, that's really mine. Are there areas of your life that are off limits to God? I mean, the answer inevitably for all of us is, is yes. We have some things in our life that we're like, hey, I'm not really ready to give that to you yet, God. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to that. that. That's mine. Hopefully, as we follow Jesus... That lessens more and more belongs to God, and we give him more and more. Here's what I think is going on. I think God is drawing Abraham to this place, to this point where he's going to say, Abraham, are there things in your life that are off limits? Are there things in your life that you value more? In fact, Abraham, your son, do you love him more than you love me? I think that's what God is saying because watch this, keep reading. Verse 11 says, The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Remember, he's got a knife in his hand to slay his son, to sacrifice his own son. The angel calls out, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Here's the key to the whole thing. Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. That verse 12 right there unlocks the whole passage. It's the key to this messy, complicated story. Because remember how it started? Way back in verse 1, it started out this way. It said, God tested Abraham. Okay, here's the test. 
Here's how Abraham is going to pass the test. Here's how he's going to show God that he loves him. It's his generous heart. Abraham is so generous that he withholds nothing from God. This thing that Abraham loves more than anything in the world. I mean, he loves his wife, Sarah, but let's be honest. He traded her for some sheep. He doesn't love her that much, okay? His son is where it's at. Like, that's his guy. He loves his son Isaac more than anything in the world. And this is the test where God says, do you love him more than you love me? Do you trust me? Or do you love him and you withhold him from me? And Abraham passes the test, it says, because he withheld nothing from God. Now here's the deal with this story. I have so many questions about this story. There are so many little things about it. Like, I want to know, what's the conversation like when he unties Isaac and he lets him go off the altar? <laughs> hey, Dad, what were you doing there? <laughs> or he's like running down the hillside, Mom! Mom! You know what Dad is going to do to me? What's that like? I don't know. Their family's going to be pretty messed up after this, though. <laughs> so tons of nuances we don't have time to get to. I would encourage you, please, go back and read this story again on your own. There's something unique about this story I want to show you. The story is about Abraham. It's about Abraham being generous with God, and it's beginning to paint a challenge for us. We'll come back to that. But this story, ultimately, this story is about God. Because this, because this story is a, a foreshadowing of something that's going to happen 2,000 years later. And this story is told so that when this event happens, everyone would look back on the story of Abraham and Isaac. Because the exact same story is going to happen again. Except this time the story isn't going to be about Abraham and Isaac. It's going to be about another father and son. It's going to be about God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. The story of Abraham and Isaac is a foreshadowing. It's called a prefiguration. It's a foreshadowing of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So that when this happens, people would look back on the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham is going to be the symbol of God the Father... Isaac is going to be the symbol of the son of Jesus Christ, his son. It's so cool. Let me, let me tell you some of the ways these, these two stories line up. Obviously, they're both father and son stories, but it's more than that. Each son is the only son of their father, and they're described as the son whom their father loves. Right here in Genesis 22, it says that Isaac is the one and only, the son of whom Abraham loves. Jesus is described the same way thousands of years later. When Jesus is being baptized, there's a voice from heaven. It is God the Father. He says, this is my son whom I love. So you can see the language that's being used is to connect the two. The, the two sons have some things in common as well. First and foremost, that they're both obedient Isaac, we think of Isaac and we go, oh, it's probably this little boy, and Abraham ties him up. No, no, Isaac is at least a teenager, probably in his 20s, maybe even in his 30s. His 100-year-old father did not wrestle him to the ground and hogtie him, okay? Isaac does this willingly. 
He willingly allows his father to bind him, and he lays on the altar. In the same way, Jesus, the night before he's going to be arrested, or the night that he's arrested, the night before he's going to die, prays in the garden. And he goes, God, I don't want to die. But I would rather see your will come to fruition than mine. They're two sons who are obedient to their fathers. You see how these two tracks, they're paralleling each other? Their journeys are also similar. Abraham talks about a place called Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah modern day is a place that we call the Dome of the Rock. It's, it's in Jerusalem. It's sort of this holy land. Islam and Judaism, and I guess in some ways Christianity kind of fight over this. It's where a few hundred years after Abraham and Isaac, it's where Solomon would build the first temple. And then a century or, or a, a millennium or so later, Herod would build his temple. It's also very near the site where Jesus would be crucified. There are more similarities. It was a three-day journey for Abraham and Isaac. Jesus was in the grave for three days. Isaac, the obedient son, was forced to carry the wood for his own sacrifice. Jesus was forced to carry the wooden cross to his sacrifice. See how they're See how they're running parallel? Abraham calls Mount Moriah the place that the Lord will provide. 2,000 years later, it's the place that God did provide. In fact, that word that is, that is there, provide, the Hebrew word is ra'ah, which means to see. It means this is the place where God saw our greatest need, our need for a Savior, and he met it in the person of Jesus Christ. The stories are the same with one major difference. What Abraham didn't have to see, God did. Abraham didn't have to see his son die, but, but God did. You see, the story of Abraham and Isaac, God pushes Abraham to this place where he's saying, Abraham, is there anything that is more important to you than me? Is there anything that you would withhold from me? So that 2,000 years later, when we see Jesus, we hear God shouting from heaven, there's nothing I would withhold from you. Not even my own son. Do you see that at the core of God, he is giving? Do you see that his heart is to be generous, that nothing is off limits, nothing is withheld from us. We start out and we think in this complex story, we think, is God being mean? And we find out, no, it's not a story about what God might take away from us. It's a story about how God is always giving to us. In fact, giving what we need the most, which is himself. Let me finish the story and we'll see what we do with this. Verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. If you're a Bible nerd like me, you love this story. You love all the Old Testament to New Testament connections. You love the way it connects to Jesus. I read this. It's, this is fun for me. I love this. 
But there's a risk there because when we spend our time geeking out on all the details and studying every little thing, we can miss the bigger picture. We forget to stop and say, what is God asking us? What is God telling us in all this? You see, I think there's, in this messy story, I think there's this overwhelming question. I think God is simply asking, do you trust me? It's so ironic as Christ followers, you know, we say, oh, I trust God. I trust God with my salvation, my eternity. I trust Jesus that he forgives my sins. The big stuff. And then it's like the little stuff is where we struggle to trust him. I struggle to trust him with my job and my future and my family and my health. But see, being generous with God, having that open heart with God is about trust. It's about trusting that God sees our need and that God will provide for that need. Brothers and sisters, are you trusting God for what you need? Are you trusting Him? Or is there something in your life that's off limits? Yes, Jesus, I love you, but this thing, I got a death grip on it. God, you don't get this. You see, there is nothing in your life that God doesn't want a part of, starting today. There is nothing that you have, there is nothing that you are, there is no decision that you will ever make. Every single thing, everything you eat and drink, every decision you make, every word that comes out of your mouth, every relationship that you have, every thought that you have, every breath you take, God goes, I wanna be a part of that. Will you trust me? For some of us, it's a struggle to trust God. And I get it, it's scary. Here's what I love about this story. Here's what I love about Abraham's journey. The first thing is that he's responding to God's word. Abraham, what Abraham responds to, God speaks and Abraham responds to God's word. If we need comfort and we need direction and we wanna build trust with God, we gotta start in his word. That's where he speaks to us. That's where we learn that God is a God who sees all of our needs and we can trust him. I love about Abraham's journey. I love this second part that it takes him three days. Because what's it like every minute and every hour of that journey? All the stuff that's got to be going through his head, all the doubts, all the agonizing. And he goes, God, I don't know what you're going to do up on the hillside. I don't know what you have planned. But all I can do right now is put one foot in front of the other and just keep trusting you. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but I believe you'll work it out when we get there. It's all God asks. That our hearts would just be open, that we would be generous enough with God to say, God, I don't know what it looks like, but all that I have and all that I am, God, is yours. And we just trust him. And maybe right now you feel like, you know, God's not very generous with me. He's, he's taken something away from me. He's not done yet, okay? He's not done. He doesn't waste anything. He's always at work. Family, can you trust him? Can you trust him today? Pray with me. God, I am so grateful that 
you use messed up people? Because God, each of us, to be honest, we're pretty messed up too, God. And to see you intervene in the lives of these people in the Bible, in that same way, God, you come crashing into our life. God, would you show us what it means to, to trust you? God, that's a scary thought because if we're just real, we've been hurt. And trusting anyone is difficult for us. God, would you show us that you see all of our needs and we can trust you to meet them? We have dark corners of our heart, God, that we're keeping from you. God, would you help us right now to surrender those, to let go of that death grip that we have on, on those areas of our life that we've called off limits and let them go and say, God, today they belong to you. Jesus, I thank you that you are the obedient son who wasn't worried about your own will, but you were obedient in your father's will. You trusted him. Help us to do the same. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.